0: welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome our Gulf Coast and South Shore Orleans Justice Center online here at Little Creek. I want to welcome all of you to week three of our series entitled, When Life Hurts. Come on, can we just welcome all the campuses <laughs> joining us right now? Very excited. You know, we are in a six-week series looking at the seven last statements of Jesus uh, that he spoke, that he uttered, that he cried from the cross. Now, if you weren't here last week, last week we talked about one of the ways that, that we get through, quote, a bad day. One of the ways that we get through life when life hurts, the tendency for us when life hurts is for us to, 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 to kind of draw a circle around our lives, to protect ourselves. But yet we learned last week with Jesus, it's just the, it's just the opposite, that when life hurts, we actually need to reach out. When Jesus was dying on the cross, if there would have been anybody that could have thought about himself, it would have been Jesus. And yet, he said, thinking about his mom, Mom, behold your son, John. John, behold mom. Make sure to take care of mom. What was the point? In his pain, he reached out. I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week or any of the messages, you can go online and download them because we learned one of the ways to make it through a bad day is when you're hurting reach out. Today I want to look at the third statement from the cross, and it's found in Matthew chapter 27. I want to look at that famous statement that Jesus made when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's my goal today for you and I to understand that one of the other ways that we can respond when life is hurting, watch this, is to remember, everybody say remember is to remember that we have been redeemed. It's interesting, my wife has been on a, she's always been a very healthy eater, and, and uh, so I work out, and so I've not watched as much what I eat, but so the last number of years, I've, she's really making everybody, we gotta read ingredients. I don't know if that's if you guys do that in your home, but we gotta read things, and so I've, I've become really um, accustomed to, and fairly proficient, by the way, uh, reading what's on the back of things. And so there's some buzz, buzzwords that you look for, you know, some things. And, and, and one of those is the word substitute. When, when, basically, whenever I see substitute, it's a curse word on the back of anything. Because it means it's going to be cheap. In other words, if it substitutes sugar, it's not that good, rich, you know, powerful sugar. It's some imitation thing, Right. If you see, you know, uh, you know. So we'll, we'll. She'll have in the house. Sometimes we'll have uh, imitation, or su- we'll have chocolate. That's kind of a substitute chocolate. That's from hell. You, you. I mean, how do you do that? That's not. That's 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 not even scriptural. And, and then you have, you'll have like a substitute burger, like a garden burger. Give me a break. Here's a broccoli patty. I mean, come on, man. Meant things gotta be rich and powerful meat for it to be. So so substitutes are they, they 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 tend to be cheap. They they tend to be cheap, not so much financially, but it's cheap in the sense that they don't deliver. It's interesting the word substitute. You know, when you think about um substitute teachers, talk about now this is gonna date me. All right, I realize it's gonna date me. This is gonna talk about the Rodney danger field of the educational system. You, you know what I'm talking about? They get no what, say it respect. Okay, now if you don't know what that means, go back and Google Rodney Dangerfield, younger people, all right? But substitute teachers, you know, it's like, I remember when I was a kid come in, you have a substitute teacher like, yeah, this is gonna be awesome, spitballs. I'm just being honest. I've I've gotten better. I've matured over over the years. I mean, you have a substitute teacher, you think, my gosh, anything can happen. I mean, anything is possible, right? There's something about there's something about substitutes. There's something about substitutes that, that can elate you, but there's also something about substitutes that can can disappoint you. Uh, for, for example, let me, let me give you a disappointment as well with the substitute. You know, you, you go to a concert, you're excited to go to a concert, you know, you save up your money, or whatever, you set aside money, and and I remember when I was a kid, U2 was a big band. Of course, U2 still. I mean, thirty years later, it's it's still rolling. Can you imagine going to a to? I had some friends that went to Red Rock, Colorado, to a U2 concert when we were teenagers. They got I don't know, I don't know how they pulled that off. We were in college, they, and they went up there. Could you imagine uh, getting all the way up there to Colorado, going to a U2 concert, and U2's not there, but U3 is. <laughs> I mean, would you be disappointed or what? Because it's a what? Everybody say it a. Hey. Okay, let me get more relevant. You, 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 you are going up to New York, and you're going to go to a Broadway show, and you're going to go see The Phantom of the Opera, and you're so excited about it, because the person that's playing that role has been there, and they're amazing. They're like the best ever. I mean the best. And the day that you happen to go, the person that usually plays that role that's played it five times, hundred times is sick but good news their substitute is playing and you're thinking how's this happening so a lot of times you feel ripped off when there's a substitute but sometimes sometimes substitutes can really can really be better back to the school system sometimes you can have a substitute teacher they're creative they're innovative they're amazing. I want to talk to you about Jesus being our substitute today. The importance of the substitutional work that Christ did on the cross for us. It wasn't a negative. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a downer. It was actually a big, it was, a, it was an upper. It was something that was a win. It was something that was a massive positive for us. Jesus was on the cross for six hours. He was nailed on the cross. For those of you that know your Bibles, he was nailed on the cross at nine o'clock in the morning. And the Bible says that he hung on the cross for six hours, right? But something happened at 12 o'clock. At 12 o'clock noon, something happened and, the, and, the, and, and all the earth or, or around there in Jerusalem, it goes dark. The sky goes dark. I want you to read this with me because I want to talk to you today about Jesus being our divine substitution. That something happens when we understand when we're going through a hard day, when life hurts, when things aren't going the way that we thought. It's this thought, it's this thought. That he is our substitute. It's this thought that we've been redeemed. What does that mean? Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Here's what the Bible says, verse 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, that's 12 noon, all right, until three o'clock. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was, everybody say it, what? Darkness. Now, 12 o'clock noon is the brightest part of the day. 12 to 3 o'clock, that's supposed to be bright. It's supposed to be a light. I mean, it's just, you know, but, but the Bible says that there was a darkness that covered the land. The darkness moved in around 12 o'clock. Verse 46, it says, about the ninth hour, that's 3 o'clock. These are, this is moments before Jesus dies. The Bible says about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow. The tone of these words were different than the words last week. The words last week was more of a statement when Jesus spoke, Mom, behold your son. John, John, behold your mom. That that was a statement. That wasn't a cry. These words are different. These are not just statements. This is, this is, this is from the depth of his being where, where he's crying out. Now, I want to notice a couple things here. The word darkness, it's the Greek word skatos. Remember, the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew, New Testament, and Greek. And so this is a, this is a, a, a word, skatos, and it literally means obscurity we don't know what God did we don't know why it got dark I don't know if there was like this solar eclipse I don't know if this this weather pattern we don't really know but we do know it was unusual and rare at 12 o'clock can you imagine 12 o'clock for us for something like that it's like there a tornado coming there's something going on for darkness at 12 o'clock it's not supposed to happen right then, and yet it, it it does got very very dark in the middle of the day and the scriptures go on to say that he cried out he screamed out again not a statement not look week one not looking and say behold today you'll be with me in paradise that's a statement this was different This was from the depths of his being. He cried out. And what was the cry? The cry was what? It was a shocking statement. It was was a shocking cry. And and he said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? What was happening right there? What was going on right there? Why was it that Jesus, what, what, what 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 was the transaction taking place that he felt forsaken by God, the Father? Now the word forsaken there literally means, watch this, abandoned, deserted, and rejected. He felt deserted by God the Father. He felt rejected. He, he felt, he, I mean, what, 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 I mean, he walked with God the Father. We, now we are, at this church, Trinitarians. We believe there's one, one God, but three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And yet, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, walked with God the Father, and there was this communion. And, 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 and what was it that took place, listen, what was it that took place for him to say this? Forsaken. By, by the way, we, we, we know that he was, he was rejected, forsaken, abandoned, let's use the word abandoned there. We know he was abandoned by first Judas the night before. When Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver, the Roman soldiers, then they brought him to Caiaphas out. We know he was deserted or abandoned by Judas. We also know he was abandoned by all of his disciples except John. We learned that last week. The only disciple at the cross, the only person in his small group that showed up was John. He was abandoned. It's bad enough to be abandoned by, by earthly friends, But then to be abandoned by God the Father, that's exactly what he was saying. I've pastored Church of the King 17 years. We started 17 years ago, been in ministry about eight years before that. And I gotta tell you, all the people that I've talked to over the years, the most painful thing in the world, it's not a disappointment at work, although that's painful. It's not a missed expectation professionally, although that's disappointing. It's when you feel abandoned by somebody that you love, that you feel rejected. It's painful, whether it's a husband, a wife, or a, a child that leaves, or it's a boyfriend, girl, something where you, you're connected emotionally and there's an abandonment. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. The depth of pain attached to that and, and, and it transcends cog- cognitive understanding it's like it doesn't make it, it doesn't matter rationally well the reason why it doesn't matter it just hurts it hurts to be abandoned to be to be rejected. The question I have is and it's a rhetorical question why? why would Jesus listen why would Jesus say this statement why would he say my god my god why hast thou forsaken me why would he say that i want to unpack that today what's going on here is the skies are go from bright to dark and everyone turns away what what is happening here listen to me this is important is that jesus christ is literally not figuratively but 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 literally god the father is placing on his son The sin of the world. He's placing on his son. So Jesus is becoming, the Bible calls him a sin sacrifice. Think about that for a moment. A human being, not a lamb from the Old Testament, not a goat, not a sheep, not a spotless lamb, but a person, a a human being, 100% God, 100% man. He's taking on himself the sins of humanity. 1 John 2:2 2, 2, 2, 2 says this, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, he is he is he is taking on his he is he is God is holy and he and he looks down and he sees is his son. Now, I don't know this because the Bible doesn't tell us exactly when this happens. Don't let anybody tell you that they know the exact pinpoint time. But, 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 but there was a transaction at some point in time. Did it happen when he was nailed to the cross at 9? Was it happening at 12 o'clock when it got dark from 12 to 3? Or did it happen at the moment 3 when, he, when, when the Bible says he gave up the ghost when he, when he died? I don't know. But at some point in time in that process, the sin of the world was put on him. And when, he put, when it was put on him, I think he, 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 he felt... The, the, the face of his father turn away. He became the atonement. Everybody say atonement. Let me tell you what it is to uh, atonement. You know, let me tell you what, theologically what atonement means. Atonement means is that you pay for the damages that somebody else caused. That's what it is. So in other words, in other words, if, 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 you're, if, somebody do, if you do something or if somebody else does something and you step in and intervene and say, look, don't worry about it. I got it. Well, why you got it? Well, because I just like you. I'm gonna pay for the damages. See, see, the reality is when Christ died on the cross for us, what he was doing is he, he was actually, he was actually taking, he was paying the price for the damages that we committed. Now, now this is deep, all right? Simple, but deep. Jesus was dying on the cross. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this in our place. The reality is, we should have been dying on the cross. Because the Bible says that, that the wages, the payment for sin is death. So somebody had to die for sin. It was Jesus. He died in our place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I know what some people are saying, by the way, well, Pastor, I didn't live 2,000 years ago. I, didn't, wait, 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 wait. I know you live right now, but how many know the power of the cross is so powerful? He, he, he paid for the sins that were going to happen in the, in the future. 2 Corinthians chapter this is going to so help some of you today because sometimes Christianity becomes confusing to people. They think Christianity is just, you know, it's just trying to love God and be better. Well, I want to love God and I want to improve my life. But Christianity is there's a transaction. There's a gospel transaction. What did Jesus do for me? I've got to understand that. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God took the sinless Christ, sinless, spotless lamb. Remember, Old Testament There was a picture of the spotless lamb, the whole, and then at the cross, it was a spotless man, not lamb, man. Remember two weeks ago, the thief said, Hey man, this guy's not done anything wrong. He even recognized Jesus was innocent, had to be a spotless man, not lamb, and poured into him, Jesus, what? What did he pour? Our what? Our sins. We should have been on the cross. I remember the day when it hit me that Jesus died in my place. You gotta see this, this is the gospel. This is an ABC message right down the line today. But it'll help you. Because when you're going through a bad day, when you understand what Christ did for you, listen, all hell may be busting loose, but you're not going to hell. And you're going to heaven, and the power of God is in your life, and you are a new creation in Christ, all because of this man. Our sins, everybody say, my sin. My sin put Christ on the cross. Not just those sins of the people 2,000 years, it was my sin. Then in exchange, there's a substitute, then in exchange he poured God's goodness into us. Wait a minute, I become good based upon somebody else's action? So I give him my sin, he gives me his righteousness. Wow, isn't that a deal? So what do we learn from the words of Jesus today? The divine exchange, everybody say divine exchange. exchange. It's a divine substitution. Let me tell you three things we learned. Number one, God is holy. Number two, sin is ugly. Number three, salvation is costly. Number one, God is holy. Number two, sin is ugly. And number three, salvation is costly. Let's talk about God is holy, number one. What does it mean that God is holy? Revelation 4, eight, only place in the Bible, by the way, God is love. I know that God is love, absolutely. First John four talks about, and God is love. But the only place in the Bible where the word is used three times in a row is related to this characteristic of God, God is holy. God is holy, look what it says. Revelation four, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, everybody say holy. Holy, holy, holy. It means, watch this, it means that he's distinctively different from his creation. In the sense that he is pure. Now listen to me, this is important. God is pure, perfection. God is the ultimate. He's the ultimate perfection in every area. And and he's pure. There's, There's no evil associated with God. There's no sin associated with God. God is holy, holy, holy. All right? By, by the way, um, last fall, two falls ago, I'm not sure exactly, I did the Book of Revelation. Yeah, I think it was two and 15. And the fall, seven weeks, and you can get it online or you can get it, it's, I, I taught through the Book of Revelation. And in that, I talk one of the messages about heaven. A number of years before that, I did a series on heaven and I taught for four weeks what heaven is like, from the Bible, not from a dream I had, from what does the scripture teach? What does the Bible teach uh, about heaven? And the interesting thing about heaven is, as far as I can see from the scripture, the bright, watch this, the brightness of heaven, it it comes from the emanation of who's God's name. In other words, God's nature is light and holiness, and that lights up heaven. There's a purity there. There's no sin. And I also talked about in heaven, there's no sin in heaven, there's no sickness in heaven, there's no worry in heaven, there's no stress in heaven, there's no taxes in heaven. Can I have a witness? I mean, at all. It's amazing. Heaven is an amazing place. And, but, but watch this. So, so because God is in heaven and God is perfect and God is pure, sin can't go into heaven. Okay, so how, how, do, how do we reconcile this? But I want to go to heaven, well how do I go there? Because I know what I've got, I know what's in my life in the here and now. And I know what I struggle with. So how do I get there? And how do I spend eternity in heaven with God? Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13, it says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong evil. How, how is God in heaven pure? And how can I spend eternity with God knowing of my impurity? Well how does that work? On the cross, Jesus Christ came to earth to die for our sins. And when he died for the sins of humanity, he died for the sins, watch this, of past, of present, and us now, future. Because this was 2,000 years ago. Don't miss this, and every evil deed, every lie, every time we cheated, every lustful thing, every 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 heinous crime that was ever committed by us, word, thought, action, and deed. Remember, I taught a number of years ago, there's sins of commission, there's sins of omission, there's sins of attitudinal, uh, so there's, all of the stuff that we've done all of the stuff that humanity's done, all of that all all of that, all of our sin, past, present and future, when Christ died on the cross, there was a moment, I don't know if it was at 9 o'clock when he was nailed I don't know if it was 12 o'clock when it got dark I don't know if it was 3 o'clock right before he gave up the ghost, the Bible says in the King James Version all I know, there was a moment when all of the sin of humanity, including mine was put on Jesus, and when That happened because God's holy, God had to look away. And Jesus said, my God, my God. By the way, isn't it interesting? only place in the Bible Jesus ever referred to God the Father as God. All before that, it was his father. Sin affects relationship. God is is holy. Wow, pastor, this is deep. Usually you're funnier than this. Try to work something in, but this is a heavy topic. <laughs> it's interesting when you come into church and worship. I remember before I was a Christian, I would come in before I was a Christian. All right. I remember during the singing part, the worship was so strong and I, I would sense God. And I would, two things would happen. Number one, I would sense the bigness of who God was and, 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 and I, would, I would begin to tear up. And it wasn't because of the music. By the way, some people will say that sometimes, so, you know, I just come to that church, and whether they're saved, unsaved, whatever, some people will tell me, say, so, you know, I'll come to the church, I just start crying, I don't know why I'm crying. We're not releasing crying gas in the church. <laughs> I want everybody to know that. It's not like, here it comes. There's not, it's, 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 it's because you're, you're sensing God. Are you with me? It, it's God, it's God. I want everybody to say, say, God is holy. Okay, number two, I want you to say this, say, sin is ugly. Now, now I want to say, what is sin? Sin is simply defined as transgressing against God's word and God's law. It's, it's, it's going past it. There's prescribed boundaries that God set up in his word all right and it's really interesting in our culture today because people perceive that god's word is restrictive in the sense of it's a negative well anybody that's ever played sports competition if you've played soccer before or if you played football the rules are not to restrict the game the fun of the game the rules are there to empower you to actually not get hurt in the game does that make sense but we live in a culture we live in a culture where where, where? Let's just be honest. They don't. They don't want. They don't want to talk about that. I, I remember even as a kid, forty years ago, growing up as a young boy. I, I remember we in our in our in our contemporary life, we would hear about the word sin. We don't talk about it today. I think for, the further that we've moved away from a biblical worldview, we, we we just don't we just don't talk about it. Culture doesn't talk about it anymore. Part of that is is because I think sometimes we re- we really don't understand how ugly sin is. Matter of fact, I think that media, Hollywood, people, conversation, sometimes they glamorize sin. They think it's pretty cool, it's attractive, they try to spin it, it's cool, it's hip, it's in. In other words, if you're not doing these things that prior to that, we, 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 we knew the scripture would say is sin, if we're not doing these things, then we're watch this, we're somehow out of step with culture. I don't mind being out of step with culture, I just don't want to be out of step with God. Are, are you with me? And I don't say that to be ugly. The Bible's always been out of step with culture. We're not trying to align the Bible with culture, we're trying to get the culture to line up with God. Does that make sense? And so what happens is people throw this off and they don't realize the ugliness of sin, they, that we don't really, we don't, we don't the, the consequences of sin. And by the way, we can bury every Bible in the world, you still have a conscience and you're made in the image of God and you still can, there's still a right, there's an oughtness in your life. There's a moral oughtness, I should do this, why? So we can try to sear our conscience, we can hide Bibles, we can do whatever, we can rewrite the laws, we can rewrite the rules, we can do whatever we want, but you still know there's a right and there's a wrong. And, God, and, 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 and the wrong is called sin. And, 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 I, and I say this respectfully, I know that there's some churches, they don't want to talk about sin anymore. If we talk about sin, it may make people run away. But well, let me just tell you something, if me talking about sin makes you run away, I don't care if you run away, I want you free from sin. And if you don't call it sin, let me tell you, a mistake is different than sin. If you make a mistake, oh, I put a comma, should have been a period, erase it, okay? But sin you have to repent from. Does that make sense? And you have to get free of it. How do you get free of it? Through the gospel. Sunday morning. You're talking about sin. Well, how do you talk about Jesus without, how do you talk about the cross without talking about it? You know, I, I, as, a, as, a, as a young boy, I went to a church called St. Augustine and it was, a, it was a church named after an ancient church father. Now y'all, y'all this is really interesting stuff. St. Augustine was a, 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 a church father. And it was really interesting what brought him, watch this, what brought him to Christ. Matter of fact, you ought to read, if you want to read some deep, heavy stuff, some theology, which is very powerful. He wrote a book called The City of God, but the book called Confessions. Everybody say Confessions. Confessions, written by St. Augustine, one of the most famous books ever written in church history. It was a confession, in essence, of his struggle with sexual sin. And what he thought as a young man was cute was an enslavement when he got older, and he was enslaved to sexual sin. I'm talking about prior to being a Christian. He was enslaved to it. He was, he was he was he was he was absolutely enslaved. And what happened was is that he couldn't watch this. He couldn't will himself out of that sin pattern. He couldn't make a decision. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get because sin. Watch this. It's not just a mindset. It's a principle. It's a spiritual principle, and you need a higher principle, the gospel, the power of God, to eradicate the stranglehold of sin. And what ended up happening is he cried out, like Paul the Apostle in in Romans 7. He goes, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Praise God, the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened to St. Augustine is he finally got freed by the gospel. I wanna say this to you guys, I wanna say this to every single person, every one of our campuses, you do not have to live enslaved to a habitual sin. Now listen to me, we sin, we make mistakes, but you don't have to live addicted and, under the, and, and shackled by sin. You don't have to live shackled by pornography, you don't. I, I, I know the, the allure there. You have computers. Everybody's got it. But you can be set free from that. That is a sexual sin. You can be set free from that. You can be set free from any sin. doesn't mean that we won't ever make mistakes. But you, I, I can say this in the fear of the Lord. I don't live addicted. I don't live enslaved to that. I mess up every now and then, particularly if you cut me off on the way out of the parking lot at church on Sunday. I have to deal with attitudes. But listen to me closely. Listen to me closely. You don't have to live enslaved to sin. Because there's a greater one on the inside of you, the defeated sin at the cross. His name is Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But if we don't call it for what it is, if we don't call it for what it is, and that's where our culture is. Matter of fact, I had some people one time tell me, that approached me and said, we like Church of the King. We like the music of Church of the King. But you guys are behind the times. You're not in step with culture. We're waiting. We're waiting till you guys come around. Come around to what? Basically what they were saying is there's things in the Bible that you guys believe that we don't believe, they're antiquated, all right? And we don't believe those anymore and so we're waiting for you to come around to, in in essence, to a new interpretation of what the scripture, what we perceive the scripture to say or doesn't say anyway. Let me just say this and I say this respectfully, we're not coming around to anything. We're into Jesus, we're into the gospel, we're into the power of God. This is what sets us free. All right, are you with me? The power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say sin is ugly. Sin. Well, what does it do? Sin alienates us from God. It's not that God stepped away. Our sin separates us from God. Remember Adam and Eve. Remember this. God never steps away, but our sin causes us to step away. Why? The very first, the very first thing that, that, that Adam did when he sinned is he hid from God. Why? Because our conscience gets condemned. Number two, sin distresses us. Now watch this. distresses us. Stress, that's what I'm about to say. Our society is breaking down with stress. It's stress and this worries and all these emotions and all these fears and emo- all these things, all right? All these things that are that are this dis-ease, all these things physiologically, emotionally. I understand that there are some things that are just a part of the fallen world, but I often wanna ask myself this question. How much of our stress in our life is related to our life being out of alignment with God? Uh, I just, I'm just asking, I'm just asking. How much of the stress, there's a certain amount of stress in our lives, right? Driving to work, there's a certain amount of stress, and a a certain amount of stress is healthy, but chronic stress, and there's worry and anger and fear and all the, I'm wondering how much of that is related to us not being in a right relationship with God. I'm just wondering. I would say this, our biggest problem is not financial. Our biggest problem is not marital. Our biggest problem is not professional. All those are real, I'm not denying those. I'm saying the biggest problem for us is, where are we in our relationship with God? Because here's what I found, when we're in right relationship with God, things begin to work themselves out. That That's what I found, because you have a power now working on your behalf, namely God. I'll never forget my dad, right before I got saved, in October 1987, I was a freshman in college, and I came in one night, and I, and I, was, I was out with some friends, and I was not in the right frame of reference, and we were partying, and acting crazy, and stupid. And, I, never, I remember sitting down, and I was like, man, you know, I have this girlfriend problem. I got this problem and this problem. And he just kind of went for it and said, Steve, your biggest problem is your problem. Those are not your problems. Those are secondary causes. Those are symptomatic issues. Your biggest problem is your problem with God because you've been running from God and stiff-arming God until you put your arm down and you embrace God because when you—here's the thing. Here's the thing. We were not created by God to live in conflict with God. It's, life is conflictual enough, let's remove the one conflict that's not real good for us. Let's get in harmony with God and then we can actually, God gives us power to deal with the crazy world around us. Are you with me? Everybody say this, sin is ugly. (laughs) oh man, I got so much on that point, but y'all can't handle any more talk about sin. All right, let's go to the last and final point. (laughs) All right, number three, salvation is costly. I'll finish with this. In other words, for you and I to go to heaven, it costs God. It costs God something. You ever heard the term, you ever heard the term, what skin do you have in the game? You ever heard that? You got any skin in the game? You ever heard that? Let me tell you something. Jesus had some skin in the game. He didn't send an angel to die on the cross. I mean, he had some skin in the game. Salvation is 100% free for us. But it's big time costly for God. Romans chapter 3 says this. I got two more scriptures. Here's one. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. For our sin, when you're going through a hard day, how does this help me, Pastor? How does that? Because I'm telling you something. The fact that you are redeemed, the fact that you've been washed by the blood of Christ, the fact that your eternal home is secure, the fact that Christ lives in you by his spirit, the fact that you're not being held in contempt because of your sin, because of your trust in Christ. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe, not when they do. It's not feeding the poor it doesn't make you right with God. That's a good thing. We don't feed the poor at Church of the King to make us right with God. We help the poor because we are right with God. Because of Christ. Because they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So what does this mean, Pastor? Let me wrap this up. There's a story of two guys that grew up together. Very similar backgrounds, very similar upbringings. One guy got addicted to drugs and got into cocaine and started stealing a little bit to support his habit and got busted by the law and he was going to court to hear what the judge says as he laid down the sentence talking about the gospel what is the gospel and the judge interestingly enough there was another young man in that scenario two young men grew up one went into drugs the other one went through college went to law school and and became a judge the judge, that was to lay down the sentence for his friend. They hadn't seen one another in a long time, and his friend walked in, and there was a sense of relief in the sense of, my friend is going to be lenient, I'm sure, on me. We grew up together. We shared a lot of good stories together. We were very close. It was actually just the opposite, that when the sentence was laid down, it was the, it was the strictest sentence ever, you know, the strongest verdict ever, as a guilty form, and the Harshest penalty, fine, harshest you could, And everybody was aghast, like, oh my God. I can't believe that. The second thing that happened though is when the gentleman went over to begin to deal with the ramifications of the costs and the penalties attached to that, the judge came to his side and said, listen, I'm gonna take care of that. I'm personally gonna pay for that. What? I'm gonna take care of it. Take care of what? All of your fines and all of your penalties. Say, Pastor, how is that the gospel? Let me tell you something. When Jesus, listen, and God the Father looked down at our sin, here's what he said. Guilty, highest fine possible. And then he took off his robe and said, I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to take care of that. You guys ever heard the thing out of court settlement? You ever heard that, it's a big thing? I mean, let me tell you, you don't wanna go to court. It's a very laborious process, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of stuff. You wanna settle out of court. The gospel is the greatest settlement out of court because because every single person is gonna stand before God, the Father one day, as God the judge. But for the Christian, we're not gonna stand before God as the judge. We're gonna stand before God as the rewarder of good deeds. Because God is the judge. See, our our case, don't miss this, was settled out of court. What do you mean out of court? All the characters in the drama related to God. Salvation is 100% free. Number one, the judge was God the Father. Number two, the advocate, the lawyer, was Jesus the Son. And number three, the fine was paid justice was served, and mercy was served, and we are the 100% benefactors of that. How many of y'all are grateful for that? Isn't that powerful? Oh yeah, we were. Don't, don't let anybody tell you that salvation is free. It's free for you. It's free for me. But it was big time costly. Big time costly. I'll close with this scripture in Galatians chapter 3. Here's what it says. But Christ has rescued us. I've been rescued. I've been re- see, if you don't see how, sin, how ugly sin is, just let me tell you something. Every time we deny sin, we lower the gospel down a little bit. We lower the graciousness of God down a little bit. But if you see the ugliness of sin and how sin wants to destroy our lives, thank God, then it lifts up the greatness of the cross. It lifts up the greatness of Christ. It lifts up the greatness of what God did for us. You with me? But Christ is rescued. Everybody say rescued. He's rescued us from the curse, the pronouncement by the law. Guilty. Our sin. Guilty. When he, Jesus, was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. Bam. What's my position now, pastor, to receive? Everybody say receive. Oh, man. I received the grace of God. October 27, 1987, that's what happened with me. I received Jesus. I received forgiveness. When I was cleansed, I can be forgiven and cleansed, and I can be right with God. Not based upon what I've done, because I've done a whole bunch of wrong stuff. But based upon what he's done. That's the gospel, let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace, your blessing in our lives. And I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for, Jesus, what you did for us when you willingly gave of yourself to be beaten and tortured. And I I don't know when it happened, Jesus. I I don't know if it was at 12 o'clock when it got dark. I don't know if it was 3 o'clock when you said these words. But at some point in time, in that cross event, at some point in time, the Father turned his face from you, and you felt it. But you took that for Steve. You took that for, for me. You took that separation and became my substitute. You took it for each one of us. If you're in this place today and you do not know Christ, I, I don't know how I could have laid it out any plainer, and I say that in the fear of the Lord. I, it, the, the gospel is Christ was born, Christ lived, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose from the dead, Christ is coming again. The question is, do you know Jesus? Are you still walking around carrying the guilt of your own sin, or do you have a savior? Have you trusted Christ as your savior? Do you know Jesus? If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, pray for me, I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me, to cleanse me. that's you at every one of our campuses, all the campus pastors are on stage at the South Shore and the Gulf Coast campus. All of you at the Orleans Justice Center, this is the message of forgiveness, of cleansing, of God giving you another chance. What a message. What a powerful message. That every single one of us joining and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I need the blood of Christ to wash me and cleanse me. If that's you, the count of three, would you just lift your hand up high? Pastor, I need Jesus. If that's you, one, two, three, quickly hold it up high so I can see it all over the place so I can pray for you.